Hello and welcome to Pod of the Gaps. Uh, good to be with uh, my good old pals Michael Otts and Andy Bannister and my, my, myself am Aaron Edwards. Uh, I just did that so that my name could there be said last and most memorable. Um, so yeah, uh, how are you guys doing? You, you, uh, you know, Andy. I hear you've been up in the hills of late in Scotland. I have. So I'm just, uh, I'm just back from a two day kind of hill walk and uh, and wild camp into the heart of the Scottish Cairngorms. I gather it's raining at your end of the country, but here we've got blazing sunshine. So I've come back sort of bitten by midges, sunburned, but very, very happy. I climbed three of the highest mountains in, in Britain, so on, on one ridge walk. So that's amazing. Very exciting, spectacular scenery. And it's just nice to get away, actually. I just, uh, that's my, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a sort of team sport person, but I'm a kind of, you know, climbing and mountaineering type thing. That's my sport. So I just love to. You're just not, you're just not a team player. You're an individualist. You're sort Absolutely. of, you know, actually, well, no, I was, I was yeah. a friend kind of thing. So, uh, kind of thing. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm good. always amazed whenever, whenever Andy has any time off, he's usually up a mountain. So, you know, that's, that's where you'll find to wonder, like yeah he seems to be up a mountain very regularly so that's work on top of a mountain exactly, exactly. hey so yeah. lass are paying you well to go up all those mountains you could actually you've got you know you've got a lot of biblical you know uh precedents for that you could say you know trying to be a kind of new moses like kind of vibe that's exactly it and i did um you know to, to get the glucose stuff back up i did indeed actually climb mountain and take a couple of tablets so that you know puts me in the same category as moses i guess well, that's excellent. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, well, that would have been a great opportunity for us to, you know, if we'd, if you'd had a particular kind of tablet um, that we could have you know, plugged here and, and gotten some kind of amazing, you know, uh, endorsement uh, on the show. We were just talking beforehand about our listener supported, uh, our listener supporters who kind of um, give some money on Patreon, which is nice. Um, and we were discussing whether we would have, you know, some kind of bonus content that some of the kind of cool podcasts do that is only accessible to the patron uh, subscribers. But we haven't really quite got there yet, have we? Any any, any thoughts, Michael, what we could offer our, our patron listeners? No, I mean, like, yeah, basically, you you currently get all our content. So unless, unless you want a free podcast chat. We have nothing else to offer, yeah. Like, which particularly wouldn't really inspire much support, I would say. What about, like, Andy going up a mountain, like, just a recording of Andy walking up a mountain, but would that be, you know, like ankle, ankle, ankle or something? Yeah. 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 Or we could get we could get a product placement so listeners can't see the video, but, you know, over over Aaron's right shoulder is a rather sort of... sort of. The, uh, the sky like, is the limit, well, yeah. Oh, fetching leather sofa so we could find out, you know, what companies supply that and we could we could have people pay to put products in the in the back corner and we could turn this into a video podcast instead. Perfect. All, so, all sorts of uh, wonderful options. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I can genuinely bake them a sourdough loaf, but by the time they get it, it might... So, be so next time people are listening to the Coke uh, Coca-Cola Pod of the Gaps uh, show, they might, you know, they might sort of... <laughs> sponsor the you know they might might, might notice patagonia the occasional brand thrown in there and people could pay they could pay for microsoft um you know to whatever there we go <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah so um well i don't know how yeah we were talking about how do we how do we segue into our thing here well yes. i guess we, we did have andy juggling earlier so we think maybe some of the content could be andy's juggling skills but you did mention your your lack of joy in, in team sports, uh, Andy. Um, and that does feed in very nicely into our topic for today, which is, does God care about sport? Now, we're, you know, it, it's quite a topical uh, topic at the moment, as all topics ought to be, um, because we're in the middle of a rather major 
football tournament. Now, I won't say which one, just in case this dates the episode. You know, listeners listening in seven or eight years' time who are still trawling through the Pot of the Gaps episodes when we've become, you know, mega superstars and they want to say, right, what, what were they like when they only had a few, you know, a few listeners back in the early days, a few hundred listeners? Um, this is this is where you'll be. But anyway, we, we've got this major football tournament happening, so it's kind of a festival, carnival atmosphere. And, it, and it's interesting the extent to which Lots of um, Christians will be watching a lot of sport and thinking about it a lot. We've also got the Olympics coming up this same summer. And we have a rather large match happening even today. Is that dating it far too much? But I think it probably is worth mentioning, Andy, uh, given that you're up in Scotland it, it and is. me and Mike are down in England. Exactly. So, uh, so England are playing uh, Scotland uh, today at, uh, at football or, uh, or soccer for our American Listeners, of course, I am an Englishman living in Scotland, so it's very interesting. Um, you know, who would want to, who should, who should want support in that scenario? So my my, my next door neighbours have a you know kind of massive Scotland flag hanging from the window. We are not a, a flag waving country. Uh, quite frankly, I couldn't care. Actually, it's not a game I'm particularly interested in. But it is interesting. You know, kind of uh, the kind of the sort of rivalry comes out because, of course, there's a lot of Scotland England rivalry politically, and of course, right mm. now it's being channeled through a. Uh, through what, in my view, is basically a children's playground game, but obviously there's less of money. <laughs> Go, get back to your mountain. Get back to your mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just laughing because you know, we talk about dating it, but of course people might now think that we started recording this podcast in 1996, which would have been really ahead of the game. <laughs> right. that, that was the last time that England played Scotland in a major tournament, which was very, very memorable, in fact, because yeah, of, as a goal after oh. the Gaza incident and the nightclub and all of Wonderful. the rest of it. Yeah, one one of the most amazing moments ever in sport was Gascoigne's goal against Scotland. It has to be. That would yeah. be quite an interesting podcast, by the way. Let's just think of that as our side podcast—a kind of fake, like like setting your podcast in the past. <laughs> like kind of like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen tonight, whatever. And then sort of almost like a kind of retro podcast. That'd be quite not, amusing. not part of the gaps, but part of the past. Part of the past. Part of the past. Yeah. That's going to be. That's what our patron listeners can get. You see, we will exactly. do an, an alternative. Okay. 30-year-old version. This is great, because at the moment, like, there's lots of podcasts discussing what's happening now, but there's, like, no podcast <laughs> discussing, like, the Queen's coronation. Like, we should do it. Yeah. Niche topics. How will this election oh, yeah. vote go? Yeah, that'd be amazing. Anyway. So, so but nonetheless, this is a, this is a really important issue, because it, it's clearly the case that in the modern world, especially, you know, some have made the argument, especially as the world has become more secular, but maybe that argument is up for debate. Um, we have gravitated more towards our love and obsession with sport as, as a culture. Western culture spends a lot of time and a lot of money following lots of different kinds of sports. Football is certainly the major one internationally, but there's so many other sports which are really, really significant. And what does God think about all this? If you're a Christian, is he going, isn't that awesome? Just keep spending all of your time and money or, or significant swathes of it on these things that some people like Andy might think are a complete waste of time. So um, why don't you just kick us off, Michael? What, what's your kind of uh, you know initial reflections on, on what the value of sport is? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, I was thinking just on what you were saying there in terms of different reactions to sport. Um, yeah, there are some Christian friends uh, that I know very well who are just very scathing, like, you know, how dare you spend the evening watching football? You should be out doing evangelism. Um, and uh, almost judgmental about people who who kind of get passionate about sports. Um, I guess flipped to the other extreme, I remember being quite challenged when I was about 18. I think it was another major football tournament um, when I suddenly realised actually my, my passion and enthusiasm 
for football was actually far greater than my passion and enthusiasm for, for God. And I thought, actually, isn't it interesting here in church? You know, we, we were watching a football game after church mm-hmm. and basically everyone was getting really, really like into it and like jumping yeah. up and down on the tables and cheering. I thought, you know, in the worship time in church, like two hours before, mm. we'd all been standing there in very yeah. like monochromatic kind of emotional kind of like... <laughs> And I just thought, isn't that interesting? Like, you know, surely, like, it's not wrong to get excited about football, mm. but if we really genuinely believe the gospel, <laughs> perhaps mm. that should also, like, mm. connect with our emotions too. Um, so, so yeah, I think there are different extremes um, in terms of, of, like, how we can go um, to it. But actually, you know, I think there's, we want to say, as Christians, there is a really positive role that sport can play um, um, in society. It's interesting, actually, just thinking on this, um, uh, I, I'm now in Leicester, I come back to Leicester, and I was chatting to, to a few friends recently saying, actually, there's a real, um, there's often, although Leicester is very ethnically diverse, there hasn't been the kind of ethnic tensions in Leicester that there have been in some cities in different parts of the UK. Um, and there is um, a real sense of togetherness and pride mm. in the city. Yeah. And I was asking someone, well, why is this? You know, what is it that kind of draws us together? And for a lot of people, actually, they said it's sports. Um, because, you know, football, rugby, to a lesser extent, cricket, you know, Leicester has been famous as a sporting city. Um, and and actually that sense that we can take pride together. And there is a way in which sport does unite people, bring people together. And we're going to the Rugby World Cup um, last year, um, two years ago, rather. And um, it was amazing to go to Japan and be there for a few days. Mm-hmm. And just this sense in which suddenly people could talk to each other, this, you know, mm-hmm. chatting to people from other countries. Um, it was wonderful. Um mm-hmm. So, so there's a really positive thing that sports mm. can do. Um, mm. That's just one of the, the aspects of it. That's, but, that's really good. it's really interesting you say that. I, I have a memory of doing. You know, I, you talk about the mission, the mission guilt element of, of mm. sport. I, yeah. I once managed to do the most amazing mission trip ever, which yeah. I did for a couple of years, mm. or as in uh, short term mission trips, but mm. over a couple of years um, in, in Albania, where we, it was a football mission trip. So, like, mm. we got a load of guys who play football to go go over and play. Um, kind of some local semi-pro teams in Albania. In the, that was your evening kind of slot. And then the morning slot was like four hours of coaching, sort of, I think it was like eight to 12-year-olds um, in football. But they would literally, and they would arrive hanging out of the minibus at like 8 a.m., desperate and screaming, so excited. And we couldn't speak a word of Albanian Obviously, we try to learn a bit, but Albanian is an unbelievably difficult language with Qs and Ks and Js just thrown in. Uh, casually around random words and so literally we'd only be able to communicate through football almost the entire time um and you'd, you'd, the kids would come wearing the same football shirt every day for the whole kind of 10 or 12 days um, and you just talked you'd almost call them the name that was on the back of their shirt if it was kaka or i remember one, one kid had a there's an obscure now now obscure arsenal player called sylvan wiltord who was i remember one and we, we just oh like wiltord how are you doing whatever or kaka has come over here and it's just interesting how that became an international language and the love of this game did unite people. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean it can't become idolatrous, though, can it? But it is one of those things, as you say, it unites people, it can give people a sort of connection humanly, they can have a lovely time doing it. But as you say, there's that weird connection where we care more about it often than we would about God. So Christians who um, who would say, oh, I'm, I'm British, that's why I don't act like a kind of Pentecostal West African when I worship. I just sort of be more reserved. But clearly, you go and you look at the flags that will be out today. Um, and the kind of if I go down to the local pub this, this evening and, uh, and watch, hopefully, England trounce uh, Scotland, I'm going to hear the kind of shouts which go beyond, 
oh, we're just British. We never really express ourselves. So you're mm. so right that that does really put the finger on this issue of idolatry, doesn't it? Andy, anything to throw in as a non-football fan to kind of observe here? Well, yes, it's interesting listening, listening to the two of you you talk. And, and I think, yes, as I think I commented backstage, you know, you could you could take the amount I'm interested in football, you could put it into a matchbox and there would still be room left over for the matches. And um, <laughs> that said, I'm not, I'm not anti-football. That's interesting. We're very careful here. I'm not anti-football or anti-team sport. It's just never been a thing for me. It's just mm. never connected. It's never, it's never, it's never resonated. All the kind of, you know, as a, as a kid, the kind of sports I was into were, yeah, the, the, the rock climbing, the, the, uh, the mountaineering, uh, canoeing, kayaking, I love doing those with other people. I'm not like, I don't want to go and just do my own. I've never felt the need to, hey, let's join up with 11 people and kick a load of balloon around a bit of mud. It's just never sort of worked um, in that way. What I do think is interesting that ties into what you were saying there is that, you know, for all the talk that we live in, you know, increasingly secular societies here in the West, we, we don't. We live in a we live in cultures of, of, of transferred religious commitment. So I think people have taken you know, what would traditionally have been, you know, sort of the ways through which one express your religious identity and your worship of God. And those are simply transferred across onto other things. So that, mm. you know, the, the, I do know people from the football is almost their religion. You know, they are utterly mm. devastated if their team lose, if their team yeah. win, they're, they're flying uh, for a week. Although that said, uh, and this isn't a joke original to me, I forget who first said this, I do like the way that sometimes football fans do talk about their team as if they were on the pitch. You know, I'll say I've got friends will say things like, Oh yeah, you know, we we you know whoever we are, you know, that team, you know, we we really we really beat Arsenal last night. And I'm like, Well, no, you didn't. You sat on the couch with pizza and a coke and you watched somebody else beat Arsenal. That would be rather like me you know, sitting watching Lord of the Rings going, Man, we really we really defeated those orcs last night, didn't we? <laughs> but I think that's the curious way that we project ourselves into the yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the religious components I find interesting. The fact that it bonds people together. You mentioned the celebration and the being very expressive. That other parts of the culture doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't come out. Um, mm-hmm. The the tribalism that's a negative word, but the, the kind of community bringing people uh, together and the sense of needing to belong to something bigger as well, I think is is interesting. So there's so many components uh, that are there in sport that I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I think that was really interesting you mentioned that, Andy, because um, there is that sense of like um, you being united to your team, you know, so like I often used to say like, you know, I, well, I should say I have three football teams I support, um, Leicester because I grew up there and now I've moved back here, um, Southampton because that was a team that was supported by a friend of mine um, for a long time and, and I met him when I was a teenager and then Bournemouth because I lived there for about 17 years. Uh, but anyway, um, I could say as a Southampton fan, you know, in 1976, we won the FA Cup. Like, but I didn't even exist in, in 1976. <laughs> it's a legitimately kind of thing you can say as a fan. And I think it's Glenn Scrivener, the evangelist. He says, actually, that does tap into something very profound about the gospel mm. uh, in that actually our union with Christ means that what Christ has done, mm. he has done on behalf of us. And we can say that we died in Christ. We raised, were raised with Christ and so on. Mm. And so like, it just struck me that when we talk about this doctrine of union with Christ, it does sound very alien. And yet the concept is something that any sports fan totally gets because yes, that team on the pitch is doing it all. You did absolutely nothing other than sit on the couch and eat pizza. And yet you share in their victory and you can have genuine joy because they won or genuine sadness because they lost. Um, but there is something in that, you know, it's, um, you know, 
we have a champion who fights our battles and we're connected to him. I probably should have saved that to the end because that was a great gospel genius. Well, we, we hope you've enjoyed the episode of Part of the Gap. Join us, uh, join us in 1976 when Michael will be telling you all about the upcoming Southampton FA Cup final. No, that, that's really no, that, that's really really helpful um, reflection there, Michael. And we can actually pick some of that up later. I, I you know, I think I think how how we connect. Whether or not it's either going, either it's a complete waste of time, like following these sports in the detail that we follow them, or there are ways in which you can connect elements to the gospel, and you've got to find that that kind of that not necessarily always a happy medium because that can almost be a very vanilla way of looking at everything. And we I get a bit sick of the fact that a lot of public evangelical responses are just there's a crazy on my left, there's a crazy on my right, and I'm the perfect one in the middle who doesn't really care that much about anything. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, it doesn't, I think it's a little bit more of a tension, as, as G.G. Chesterton says often. You're, you're more like in a, you're not in a balance, you're actually in a kind of carriage ride trying to avoid the pit, the, the pits on the left and right, but you're moving. You're, not, you're kind of in tension sometimes. You're not actually just flatly balanced in a kind of you know, vanilla way. Um, but, but there's something about the, the, the stuff you're talking about, about culture, isn't there? About, about secular culture, maybe, which is replacing religion um, in, in the way in which we follow it, I think. That, that's something to bear in mind as well as Christians, as we witness and seek to see this missionally. I'm, I was always really struck, whenever I teach philosophy, mm. I notice that a lot of the postmodern and existentialist philosophers of the 20th century, the people who are sort of trying to think about what on earth, how does life make sense now we've gotten rid of God, now we've you know we've we've got we've taken Nietzsche's advice and said that God is dead, um, and we think religion is a waste of time, or indeed is coercive and manipulative and destroyed lots of lives, stopped science, all these silly myths that come out. Um, what do we do now? How do we actually make sense of what life means? And sport gives you a vicarious sense of the meaning of life when life doesn't actually seem to be very meaningful uh, because you don't have an author of the universe. You don't have a kind of connection to your creator and your redeemer. And so therefore you give yourselves to these heroes, these godlike figures. And of course, many of them have been called gods. One of my favorite footballers growing up was Robbie Fowler, Liverpool player, whose nickname literally was God. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I can remember doing a, a kind of tongue in cheek essay for my a theology degree once with, with a very liberal uh, teacher. Um, who was really a big fan of all these sort of multiple religions, a religious experience wherever anyone feels something transcendent in any capacity, whether it's a, a gig or whether it's a, a sporting event, or whatever, that's kind of valid religious experience. So I just wrote an essay about the verification of Robbie Fowler as an actual deity. And I ended up getting uh, a distinction for the essay, though I'd wrote it almost as a mockery of the whole thing. <laughs> but I used the concepts that they validated religion by, and it, it worked kind of thing. So you can actually prove anything, it seems, in academia. But but anyway, it does speak to the fact that these philosophers, they are they think about the meaninglessness of life. They literally, that's part of their philosophy. Um, thinking of people like Albert Camus um, or Jacques Derrida, and they would act, they were actually really interested in football, specifically, but they liked all sports. Mm -hmm. But they loved the fact that sport was a controlled, ordered system of meaning. Mm -hmm. And they and I think I think there's a quote from Derrida, I think, which is everything I've learned about philosophy, I learned from football, which is wow. an unbelievable thing to say. But it's I can see how it makes sense mm -hmm. because you've got a closed system. Mm -hmm. Everything makes sense. There's an author, there's rules, there's regulations, everything that's the opposite almost of how they think the world is. They don't think there's mm -hmm. rules. They think that everything deconstructs, everything is a a made-up system that we've just invented to give ourselves, you know, a reason to not kill ourselves in a way. And so therefore, they still enjoy sport, even though they know it's almost like it becomes a replacement, isn't it, for meaning itself. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah, just on that, 
talk about idolatry for a second just to say um it's very easy you know people say you know is football idolatrous or not and we talked about people who say yes it is and other people say no it's really good but the whole point of idolatry is that the things that we're most tempted to idolize are good things right i'm much more tempted to idolize something that is legitimate like a good gift mm. than you know you know um something that's quite obviously harmful and bad um, so, so the fact that something can be idolized doesn't mean the thing itself is bad. Like that's yeah. the point, isn't it? They're good gifts that yeah. become, you know, God replacements. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there is an inherent goodness to sport, but yeah. yes, there is a danger like anything else that can be idolized. In a sense, big things are better. You know, I'm less likely to idolize Haribo because whilst <laughs> I like Haribo, like they're not big, but things that I really, really, you know, the better something is, yeah. the more I'm likely to idolize it. But like yeah. sex, you know. Mm. We, we as a culture yeah. attempt to idolize sex not because sex is bad but because actually it is profoundly yeah. good and prof- yeah. you know, god's greatest gifts mm. and so the sense because we attempt to idolize sport is because you know sport is a really good gift to us legitimately it, in a yeah. culture that's moved on from god himself mm. we look for god replacements we're worshiping beings we can't get away mm. from that we just find substitutes and there's even something in it so i'll let you jump in andy in a second there's even something just off the back of that michael about how we're made as creatures so the fact that an animal cannot um cannot create a system of meaning and care about it so even even the fact that andy could laugh at the fact that it is you know like many people said is it just a, a bunch of leather being kicked around on some mud that is literally what it is but yeah. actually, it isn't what it is. It's more than mm. that because mm. of the meaning we've ascribed to it. Mm. And mm. the meaning we've ascribed to it is kind of, it's not meaningless, actually. It, it tells you mm. something about the kind of God. God created a world like that. He cares about um, mm. law and order, statistics, good and bad. He cares about things that, that are recognizably quality and not quality, this kind of thing. You think of the Paul in Philippians 4 you know, whatever is noble, whatever is good and lovely and perfect, you think about these things, you could apply that to sport, but also as a way of saying, we are created beings, we're in, in his image. Of course, we're going to go and create these systems of meaning, even if we overdo it and idolize them. Um, mm. There's something about the imprint of God in, in us caring about stats like this. It's almost mm. like, I don't know if you had this at university, I, I made my housemates, we created endless games out of nothing that were just mm. ludicrous. Like we had this, you know, mm. we, I remember creating a game called Power Play, in our, and it was so specific to the lounge that we had in that particular year at university. But we got so into it. There were so many ridiculous rules, one of, you know, with ridiculous sort of titles. We, someone had left, a, there was, a, I think, a washing, a laundry basket in the corner. It was just kind of like, you know, kind of soft football, batting it over. There were so many touches you could have. And it was a, a really elaborate point system. And then every now and then you could go for the golden chalice, which was the, the laundry basket in the corner. So if someone <laughs> didn't defend the chalice, oh, he's gone for the chalice. And it was like, it became so meaningful. And I, and I was like, we've literally invented something out of nothing. But in a way, that that's that's something about how God creates the universe. He's given us that sub-creativity, yeah. as Tolkien would use the phrase, not actually creativity. Sorry, oh, Andy, jump in. Yeah, sorry. I was going to jump yeah. in again. The game making is funny though, because I had a I had a friend years ago who a little a little game he would play down the pub was it works best if you're at a large table and you need two or three of you in on it or two of you in on it um, and what you do is you start you know two of you start moving the items on the table the salt and the uh, the, uh, the pepper and the cutlery around as you're playing a game a bit like chess um, and the idea that what you want to try and do is convince other people around the table there are rules to this game, and you know that you've succeeded when somebody else chips in to go, oh, I think you should do that move, mate. And uh, <laughs> had quite good success at convincing people this was like, you know, pub chess. I just find that quite funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, two things that uh, there that interest me 
Aaron. One is your point about animals is interesting, isn't it? Because I'm I'm fascinated about in all the ways that as human beings we are demonstrably so much more than the mm. animal kingdom around us. Sure, we're connected to mm. it, but there's also something uniquely human. Mm. And sport is a good example, right? You don't get squirrels mm. organising themselves into teams and and playing football with with acorns, or even animals that are very social. You know, like sheep mm. will gather together in herds, but they don't go. Hey, why don't we organise five aside? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not that animals don't play. Certain animals do. I mean, you know, crows, um, otters, mm. other creatures are known to engage in playing behaviour, but not this sort of team-based thing, which I think is fascinating. Mm. So again, I think it's something about the image of God mm. coming coming through there, or the very least, human uniqueness, which I mm. think is a. I think if I were an atheist, that would be trouble. That human uniqueness is a bit like the, the bubble mm. under the wallpaper that you desperately try and push it down here, and it just mm. pops up. Mm. And then the other side to it, I think, is that. Your comment about idols is interesting because I know I, I agree idolatry takes something good and makes it central. Mm-hmm. But also the other thing idolatry will often do is is there's always that dark side and plus side to things too when they've mm-hmm. got caught up in that. And I think sports like this, right? I think there's so much mm-hmm. that is good in, in sport. Even as a non sort of sport watcher, I'm still like, yeah, I can see there's lots of good stuff in it. But then there's mm-hmm. also the negative. There's the, there's the, there's the tribalism. There is the sort of it becoming an all consuming piece. But the other mm-hmm. thing is that is the kind of bread and circuses thing too, because you know, this idea that, you know, the mm. way the Roman Empire, Emperor, the Empire kept, you know, the peasants from revolting yeah. Yeah. Um, was, you know, give them, toss them bread and give them the gladiatorial games. And mm. you're And I do think something similar goes on today, actually. Mm. There's, a, there's a great game that's played mm. is, you know, yeah. you, must never, you must never let the masses actually figure out mm. that the elites think there is no God and, and, and everything yeah. is the world to power. Um, because it will just destroy civilizations. We know. So, we, mm-hmm. so bread and circuses, you know, which in our mm-hmm. age is probably, I don't know, Netflix and sports and, yeah. uh, you know, whatever, because to go, mm-hmm. it keeps people from thinking about the bigger, the bigger questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't, that, that Derrida quote was a new one to me. I've read some of his stuff. I hadn't come across that, which I think is, mm-hmm. is fascinating that even an ardent postmodernist like Jacques mm-hmm. Derrida, you know, is still drawn to that order <laughs> and structure mm-hmm. Because I think as human beings, we, we, we can't avoid it. And it's one thing yeah. to say that everything is just meaningless and everything is mm. just language games and, and whatnot, but you can't live like that. So, you know, if you were suggesting he kind of, he found his little retreat, his little safety hole being a game where there were rules and there was structure. Mm. Uh, it's, that, that's fascinating because, of course, yeah. the Christian message is actually that the, the little game and the big game, as it were, do actually connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's interesting that that you know that's even, I mean it may it may even maybe someone could uh, fact check that it might it may be either Cami or Derrida who said that either that or they said that, that it was one of them who said uh, as well that it's about that system of meaning um, you know it, within the system of rules and that's why it was so fascinating mm. uh, to them. But it's so interesting how pervasive as I said that same thing is across all of those weird thinkers. Uh, Samuel Beckett was another one, uh, kind of more of a playwright. But an absurdist kind of kind of in this meaninglessness of life um, f- philosophy, kind of subscribing to. But he was obsessed with things like chess. Mm. In fact, we wrote a whole play called Endgame about the concept of chess as an analogy um, for the universe and, and meaning. But but the kind of search for it. They love meaning. They love systems and structures of meaning. They can't get away from that. They can't just say, oh, "I think these are rubbish. I don't like sport." It's just amazing to see those those connections but as you say Andy it's so important for us to challenge that as well because it's clearly the case that sport has always been massively um, successful and popular but it seems to have just ramped up in the level of statistics my wife is just amazed you know if I'm watching a match on BT Sport and I might have watched Liverpool play 
and then there'll be an advert for another game coming up on Wednesday, and then there's and we've got and we've got this tomorrow, then we've got this the day after, and this, and this is just for football. Imagine if you were in, had time to kind of devote to three or four sports that you were watching. There are guys who do that who have Sky Sports, a kind of cable channel in the UK. Um, and we'll watch endless amounts of sports, seemingly, because there's just an endless amount of drama that can be created. And so we we can talk about the systems of meaning being a good thing, but clearly we have to uh, address the fact that this mm. this is a weird, almost uh, this the um, symptoms of a sick society as well, because they're not thinking about transcendent universal meaning. We can ascribe meaning to it as Christians, but we need to make those connections, and we constantly we need to proclaim the word of God in the midst of that rather so we don't condemn it and say oh, it's all terrible and of the devil we can say look this is really good and yet mm. um there's got to be stuff where we challenge the, the the depth with which people kind of completely distract themselves from the big questions with yeah. these systems of meaning I think you're right and as you as you say that reminds me and we've we've talked about I think we may have talked about him on this on this show before but uh Dan Strange who's a who's a, uh, a theologian and uh a known, to, known to some as a friend of a friend of mine Mm. Um, wrote a wonderful little book uh, a couple of years ago now called, called Plugged In, How to Connect mm. Your Faith with What You Read, Watch and Play. Mm. And he has this model of what he calls sub- subversive fulfillment that I think is quite clever. Mm. What's interesting is actually mm. he uses football as one of the work examples. He says, look, when, when as Christians we come across any cultural products, be it a, a book or a, or a movie or a phenomenon or a sport, um, the first thing you can do is enter so you can, you know, you can sort of step into that world, understand how it works, you, know, you can enjoy football. Um, but sort of, you know, figure out what's going on before we before we, before we pronounce. Mm. Um, then you can begin exploring and ask the bigger questions. You know, what is this what's this tapping into? We've done this with, with mm. football today, right? We've talked about the tribalism, the community, the sense of belonging, mm. uh, you know, the hope and despair is there in football. <laughs> those, those are all theological themes that you begin to discover. Mm. And then the mm. next step is the third step. After you've uh, after you've entered and explored, then he said, oh, what uh, Dan says, there's then the, child, the task comes to to expose and that's where you show. Look, this mm. this thing is not living up to the, the, the dreams that are claimed for it. In the case of football, you know, you can't build your identity there. Mm. Uh, you can't build your entire sense of community there because that's going to mm. lead to tribalism and whatnot. So mm. show where show where it doesn't meet what's being asked mm. of it. Mm. But then the fourth E, because always begin with E. So you enter, explore, expose. Then you evangelize and show how mm. actually this thing that's being looked for here is actually answered yeah. uh, in the gospel. And he takes mm. that entire model out of, out of scripture, out of Acts 17. Mm. That's what Paul does mm. yeah. with the old, the unknown gods. You know, he enters yeah. the culture, explores the city. Um, he'd be quite positive about the, the Athenians' religiosity, but then he critiques mm. and sort of shows how actually this, this idea can't, mm. you know, can't really meet our, you know, that isn't actually true yeah. ultimately. And then yeah. as you, you read on in that sermon, then connects it to the gospel. But it's a very clever yeah. model because it enables you to, to look for the good and affirm the good, but not mm. just then just make random critiques, but then connect mm. those critiques mm-hmm. to, what to, what they, to what the thing is trying to do and then point it to yeah. the gospel. And it's I think interesting. Yeah. It. It's interesting then to ask the question, you know, how does, what is it that sport's tapping into mm. in, the, in our humanness? Mm. Um, we can see it, you know, for instance, you know, we can see in sex and relationships why we would idolize those things because it's that desire for intimacy, for belonging. You know, we might see in you know making a career your identity like an idolatry because you know we all need to have a foundation to life and, and you know, a sense of self worth. Mm-hmm. I wonder with sport, is it that sense? It's more than just something to do, isn't it? It's you know that 
that sense that you're looking for, particularly as a fan, that sense of euphoria hmm. and being lost communally with other people in something beyond yourself. Yeah. yeah I, I often talk to people about, you know, the greatest moments of my sporting life was watching sport. It was when England won the Rugby World Cup because I'm more of a rugby person than, than football. Yeah. But as, I still remember, you know, that sense of incredible euphoria when Johnny Wilkinson dropped the goal in 2003 and we won. You know, it was early in the morning. It was like, it was just incredible. But because it was early in the morning, I remember like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, walking through town, just thinking like this amazing sense of anticlimax, which was like, you know, that's the greatest thing that I could ever hope to watch as a, as a rugby fan. Yeah. But what now? Like, I've got to go and find lunch. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the thing about sport is it, it taps into this desire. And yet you, when you get the very thing that you really want, you yeah. realize that it's just an echo of something else that you must yeah. really want. Yeah. And of course, you know, you look at Revelation and you think about, those visions in Revelation of this great multitude that no one can count before the throne worshipping the Lamb. Mm. Like, surely that idea of a great multitude worshipping their sports team mm. is a tapping into that, mm. you know, that ultimate reality that we'll mm. one day look forward to. Mm. Um, and, and maybe we need to think about that. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a really good point. I think there's that's that's a fascinating thing to connect that to Revelation. And they kind of, I think there's a sociologist called Emil Durkheim we refer to the effervescence of the mm. crowd. So when you are in a crowd, there's an effervescent effect. Now that could be negative because it could mean you just go along with whatever the the crowd, the mob would say, mm. but there's also a positive effect in the sense mm. that you're joined together with them. And surely there's something about how church is imagined and designed by God. The fact that we're called to not, you know, don't give up meeting together mm. um, and join together, sing to one another with Psalms and, and, and hymns and spiritual songs, sing to one another. It's interesting. Sometimes we just go into mm. church and just, close our eyes and just sing directly to God. Clearly it's worship to God, but there's an element of the necessity of, of the congregational. And that's something about that clearly that's related to sport. It wouldn't be the case that you wouldn't be as interested in sport if you were the only fan in the world. Um, equally, you know, if you are, if you were the only fan of Pod of the Gaps in the world, you'd feel a bit uh, odd as the one person being spoken to. Thankfully, we have a few more than that. Um, um, and uh, But the interesting thing about that is it also taps into, as you say, Michael, Mm. there's something good there and Andy mentioned as well that with the damn strange the plugged in stuff there's a really good thing here which we have to say before we're going to critique it um or maybe depends how much or do you do it because Paul obviously is provoked and distressed by the idols and then he's able to bring something positive so it depends which order you do that in but but I was interested to think of a, a quote famous quote from Bill Shankly who's Liverpool's great manager back in the 60s um he was once asked you know famously some of some people are saying this match coming up in this big big match coming up is a matter of life and death and he said you know in his normal kind of dry scottish uh, accent uh, oh no it's far more important than that and so there's, there's loads of quotes it's, the, the football is more important to people than life and death and he's sort of tongue-in-cheek but he's also i think tapping into something that that it is it, it has to matter massively or not at all so there's a sense in which you either are really, really excited about this, or you, if you're kind of on the fence, go, well, it doesn't really matter. Well, if it doesn't matter, if you're like Andy in your view of football, just don't even care at all. Like, go away. Mm-hmm. You either really care about this or you don't. Otherwise, you'll kind of um, have a kind of foot in both camps. Because either it's completely meaningless, or you're going to be like, well, I'm going to really embrace this as a mm-hmm. meaningful activity. And then that's why I think it's important for Christians to think about this theologically as well. So not just to think guiltily about the amount of sport you consume, um, now be discerning and prayerful about that, but actually also, um, you know, thinking about how uh, how you can understand this as a as a genuinely worshipful thing or missional mm. thing, or mm. maybe you should cut yourself off from it as well. If you if you can't do that, 
Because otherwise it does become one of those things that genuinely can become idolatrous if you're just unthinkingly immersing yourself. Mm-hmm. If I'm actually, I'll just say one more example of that and I'll let one of you jump in if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a weird experience as a, as a massive Liverpool fan. Um, in the beginning of the 2018-19 season, I can remember we were on holiday as a family in the Isle of Wight and I was desperate to find a venue as soon as we got to the house we were staying in um, to find a place where I could watch the first Liverpool match of the season, which was actually against Dan Strange's beloved West Ham, if, if Dan's listening. I don't know if he does listen, but he, we'll, we'll make sure he listens to this one. Um, and I remember thinking, I just, I just, whatever I'm doing, I need to make sure I get to the, to the game for it. And I felt like it almost a, a desire that was becoming quite inappropriate. Like I was, I was sort of, how quickly can I get everyone unpacked and stuff ready? I just need to get there. I didn't manage to, you know, I didn't manage to do it in time. I thought, oh, I'll wait for for the kind of highlights in the evening. Then there's some problem with the Wi-Fi. I'll have to wait till tomorrow and catch it on iPlayer. Uh, and then, uh, and then it, it's just transpired. I couldn't watch it. And I remember I was listening to um, an audio recording of Oswald Chambers. Um, at the time and I was, I was just really struck by his life and his approach uh, to life and just thinking gosh it really is inappropriate to have this kind of desire where I need to watch this so I need to I'm so excited that I desperately need it and it's become you know genuinely an idol so I really felt God speaking to me to say I think you need to step back from this for this season so the whole of that season I didn't follow football at all I still played football um, and and uh, you know for my team and stuff, but I didn't follow. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't watch anything online. Didn't, obviously, didn't watch any, and I didn't know how Liverpool were doing. It was so amusing to many of my friends who knew Liverpool were having a pretty amazing season that year. They ended up winning the uh, Champions League and <laughs> almost winning the league. Um, <laughs> what a year to box out of football! I know it was unbelievable, and so it was a weird thing. But then. Um, at the end of it, I felt it was such a kind of, I don't want to say cleansing experience because that could sound almost kind of Roman Catholic in my uh, penance always, but it was a sense in which I was able to step back. And because of that, not only did I save a heck of a lot of time, goodness me, you realise how much time just checking transfer gossip and watching this or that. But when I then fo- watched football the following season, when Liverpool actually won the league, so clearly that's why God was doing it. He, he saved me from the, um, you know, he did it all for my benefit to save us almost winning the league, the heartache. Anyway, I'm following it the following year, and I find for the first time probably I'm able to genuinely worship God in and through my love of the game. And so I'm, I'm Liverpool then had an amazing season, and I was thank, thanking God consciously all the way through for football. Mm. I don't think I'd ever done that. I think I'd thank God mm. for the playing, because I think you're more personally involved maybe, but I hadn't thanked him so much ever for watching football I think it was almost like an escape or a distraction from other stuff like ministry stuff or mission stuff whatever your life's doing you're going to watch a game but actually it became a thing was like wow this is so amazing because I'd had this personal encounter with God in having to give it up then I was able to embrace it properly and I felt like I was released from the grip of idolatry so that was an interesting you know thing to have happened really. And just interesting on that I think often the way to guard against idolatry is gratitude isn't it Hmm. because um it's very hard to idolize something whilst also thanking god for it Uh, and it's an incredibly positive thing to do but to be able to you know what do we do acknowledge him as the source of all good gifts Hmm. um and in a way that enables us to enjoy it more like you Hmm. say Hmm. um but it takes some of the pressure off Hmm. um you know and because i think the danger is you know and i know it's in my own heart if we if we idolize sports um, then we'll always be disappointed. Mm. Yeah, even when we win, mm. there'll be that sense that 
yeah, but what next? <laughs> yeah. um, but when we lose, it can be absolutely crushing because, yeah. you know, there's nothing else to go to. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, I think absolutely. Like, if if you know God, it doesn't mean I don't, you know, I, I still get very excited when we win and I still get a bit depressed mm-hmm. when we lose. But, but actually, um, we know that those things point to greater realities um, and, and we can hold on to that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's similar to Andy as well with the with the World Canoeing Championships and things like that. World Canoeing Championships or uh, or whatever. Or the um, pub test tournaments with the yeah. salt pepper. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. That that should that that really should, uh, should definitely be a thing. No, I think you're I think you're right. And I was just reflecting on the fact that I think isn't that I mean that in essence is the nature of an idol, isn't it? It just promises mm-hmm. that which mm-hmm. it can't deliver. Mm-hmm. And ironically, whether it fails to deliver it or if it does mm-hmm. deliver it temporarily, you still end up ultimately disappointed. And I think that's, um, you know, that, that's, I think, it, the inherent into the nature of idolatry. And, of course, the other thing we haven't talked about is that the idol doesn't just damage you, often damages those, those around you. And I think, you know, I've seen, you know, relationships suffer when perhaps, you know, some of the husband, particularly, not, not always the husband, because often the husband gets so into the sport that the family get, get sidelined and, and they become more consuming. But then the other thing that interests me, back to the meaning thing, there's something you said a moment ago, Aaron, that really struck me about the fact that I think, you know, because if you if we live in an atheistic universe, then then it's an ultimately meaningless universe. Mm. It's not possible mm. to live that way as human beings, mm. which is itself fascinating. And mm. so you know we do construct these little worlds of meaning. And I was reflecting mm. on the fact I've had so many dialogues, both private and public ones, with atheists or humanists, where that's been their actually they, they've actually quite blatantly taken that line and gone. Well, of course, mm. there's no meaning to life because there is no mm. God, but it's okay because we can construct mm. our own systems. Mm of mm. meaning and i think and i think what i find fascinating is of course in one sense i want to go absolutely if there is no god that's all you're left with of course the, the problem you run into is well firstly how you convince and be also that system of meaning secondly is how you make sure you you don't you, you you forget to keep remind yourself to keep forgetting that it's actually only a game and the whole life mm. is just a game. Mm. and thirdly is the power play of course, mm. because if the, if ultimately the best you have is football, and well, along comes someone who doesn't care, or someone who's a rugby fan who's going to beat you up because they hate soccer players, and they mm. go, well, my system of meaning trumps yours because I'm bigger than you are, and even mm. sport back to will, power, and Nietzsche. And I think it mm. it just exposes for me the, the bleakness. I think the older I get, I am more and more struck on the absolute bleakness, actually, of, of atheism mm. when you mm. when you take it to its logical conclusion. But the best mm. you can do is construct little systems of meaning. Maybe it's sport, maybe it's something else. But but it is a game. And outside mm. is the void and the howling wind. And you just mm. you have to pretend it's not there and mm. just try and distract yourself with what's in, mm. in front of you. But ultimately, that too will get blown away. Mm. Um, it makes me grateful every day for being a being a Christian, mm. not in some triumphalistic, I'm better than everybody else, but just having found what actually, you know, what true meaning looks like. And then as, you know, I think Michael said, then, then you then you can put the idol back in its place and you can be grateful for, you know, sport. You can be grateful for sex. You can be grateful for food. I can be grateful for mountain climbing. Not because it's some way by which I desperately try and distract myself from the, from the void or somehow desperately try and fight Scrabble to put together a bit of self-esteem. Mm. Mm. But because I can be grateful to the source of all meaning, who's mm. as well his many, many, many gifts to us, mm. and it's a very mm. different approach to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. There's something about reminds me of a um a, a concept I heard 
from a book called A Brief Theology of Sport by Lincoln Harvey, where he talks about the um, liturgical celebration of contingency, which sounds more of a mouthful than it actually is, I think. Uh, the liturgical celebration of contingency, and contingency in the sense that we are finite and we're bound by moments because we're not God, we're created beings. And so we're almost celebrating, rather than pretending that our life is eternal, which I think atheists, most people in the Western world today, they're so obsessed with not dying and with health. You think of the COVID situation, as mm. an example. That's like all they've got. You know, like we just need to live as long as we possibly can, uh, which of course is a good thing to do. You know, we're, we're clearly pro-life in that, in that wider senses and under the smaller senses. Um, uh, but there's a sense in which that becomes completely ludicrous or meaningless in and of itself. And and yet, so there's a good sense of us celebrating as Christians, celebrating the fact that we are contingent beings. We're dependent upon God. We're not actually uh, able just to live and live forever. We can't just freeze ourselves and then come back sometime in the future. However great technology is going to be, uh, we are finite beings. We're contingent. And so even celebrating those transcendent moments uh, within our contingent mm. experience um, it's a wonderful thing, but only yes, it's liturgical. Only we can do that in worship. I don't think an atheist can do that. They can only use it as idolatry. I'm just looking forward to using that in conversation next time. I'm chatting to a, a sports <laughs> fan. Like, you know why you love sports? It's because it's a liturgical celebration of our contingency. <laughs> I can see you're going to do that tonight when England are playing Scotland. You're just going to chuck that in in the pub and then just be like, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I actually think what you should do once it is that once. Um, you know, large-scale attendance in, in matches is as allowed again as the COVID restrictions ease. Go to a football match, uh, Michael, and rather than like the flag of the team, get yourself a, a, a big a big, a big poster about existential contingency or whatever and just wave it and see get yourself on TV. <laughs> I can just see it. See if they float down there waving a flag about. That's it. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, yeah, there's all, I mean, it's all sorts of... You know, that's, that's interesting. There was the John 316 guy, wasn't there, in America, who went around all the sporting events and sort of... You know, try to invoke, bring that uh, meaning into it. You could do all sorts of other yeah. interesting things. Yeah. But I do, I genuinely think, as we, all the stuff we've been talking about today, you know, I do, I do think Christians could do well to be sort of empowered in their thinking and in their and in their feeling and and, and how they actually engage with sport. To be a little bit more thoughtful about it uh, and to think of it liturgically, perhaps, or, or indeed also to think of it in the sense of needing to be ascetic and, and pull away from it. Uh, mm. at times because otherwise you are just going to be immersed and going the same way as the world which is really using sport in order to replace god as we've been uh, saying so absolutely um a really good thing to do so those of you who are listening kind of immersed in sport whether whenever you're listening to this uh, in in the in the future in the present or maybe even in the past uh with a, a part of the past idea um you know i hope this has been helpful for you to sort of consider these things uh, in a different kind of level a theological and maybe missional level and I hope it's provoked some thought in you uh, both towards the idolatry and towards the as say the, the worshipful aspects that can come from us being made in the image of god and redeemed by that same god who loves us um, and loves the things that we do as well as disliking the things we do which are, <laughs> which are sinful so um well that's all we have time for today on Pod of the Gaps um, myself Aaron Edwards from Andy Bannister and from Michael Otts on their beloved behalf um, I say goodbye to you all and uh, you will hear from us next time we hope farewell well.